Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She was a really useful asset to him as well, like in terms of global relations and just the way she appeared to the public as this fashion icon and someone that young girls and women could look up to. And she really understood the power of the position, I think, which definitely created a precedent for future first ladies. Hello and welcome to America, a history podcast. I'm your host, Liam Heffernan, and every week we answer a different question to understand the people, the places and the events that shape the USA into the country it is today. This week, I find out more about how one of America's most popular first ladies turned her office and indeed her residence of three years into a living museum of US political history. As we ask, how did Jackie Kennedy transform the White House? And to discuss this, I'm joined by Jess Aldred, a final year American history undergraduate from the University of East Anglia. Welcome, Jess. Hi, thank you for having me. It's really good to have you on uh, the show today. And as I've been saying before, um, incoherently to you, uh, I'm really excited about this topic. And hopefully it sheds some light um, onto everyone listening uh, about just how influential, I guess, not just Jackie Kennedy, but but first ladies, how, how influential they can be to the president, to the country, um, and particularly as we're going to learn to the White House itself. Yeah, definitely. So I guess let's kind of take a step back before we jump into the specific topic and learn a little bit more about who Jackie Kennedy was and kind of where that inspiration for this project that we're going to talk about came from, uh, if you can enlighten us. Yeah, um, so Jackie Kennedy, I think most people will know the name. Um, She was the 35th First Lady of the United States and became so when her husband, JFK, um, was elected to the presidency in 1960. Um, She's a really interesting historical figure and is probably one of the most well-known and most popular First Ladies in American history. You see the images of her in a pink pillbox suit in Dallas or of her in a black dress and veil walking behind her husband's coffin. Um, And they continue to come to people's minds when they think of um, Jackie Kennedy. She's considered to be both a cultural and a fashion icon, and her legacy is usually associated with glamour, style, and resilience in the face of tragedy. Um, But there was so much more than a fashion icon or JFK's wife. Um, She was highly intelligent, an important asset to her husband's campaign and presidency, a supporter of many humanitarian causes, and had a really strong passion for the arts and heritage. Um, I previously learned about her work to preserve Grand Central Station in New York City in 1975, but I feel like this side of her had always been overshadowed by her public image and her husband's assassination. 
Um, it's one thing I really didn't know much about until I spent some time in Washington DC during my year abroad was the work that she did to pre preserve the heritage of the White House. After entering the White House in 1961, she set out to restore the interior of the building and make it accessible to the public, helping it live up to its nickname of the People's House, um, which was first used in the 1800s. Uh, it was the biggest project during her husband's thousand days in office and its legacy is felt today. And then you asked about the inspirations as well. And I think one of the biggest inspirations came two decades earlier in 1941, when she visited the White House herself as a young girl. Um, she later recalled in an interview with Hugh Sidney for Life magazine that the house really didn't leave a significant impression on her when she was younger and she was disappointed not to receive any kind of informational guide or feel any of the history of the building. Once um, she became first lady, she was also disappointed to find that the previous administrations had not upheld the historical significance of the building, instead decorating as they please, like disposing of historical antiques and furnishing the rooms with department store pieces. She pointed out there was hardly anything from before 1902 in the house and was keen to remove the traces of Mamie Eisenhower's fondness for the color pink, which was quite famous at the time. In Jackie's eyes, the White House should have been a symbol of America. It should have been well-maintained and reflect the history of the nation while being accessible to the public, but she didn't find it to be like that when she entered the White House in 1961. I'm really interested about this kind of separation of the White House from, you know, because part of it is office workspace part of it is very much living quarters because the president and his family have to actually kind of make a home and a life there and um, to some degree um but it feels like jackie kennedy kind of realized that there was also this part of the white house which sort of stood as a kind of living history of what america is and was in a way that previous presidents didn't really seem to get yeah definitely i mean John Adams was the first president to move into the White House and there were times throughout history where it was destroyed by a fire in 1814. But like you said, because it is a home, I feel like a lot of presidents wanted to make it a home and make it personal and add their own touches. Um, but they really didn't know the value of preserving the historical side as well, which obviously with it being destroyed in certain times and being renovated, you kind of lose a lot of that. And Jackie, with her fondness for the arts, really wanted to bring that back especially for the public to see. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting that it took so long for someone to kind of realise that, I guess, um, and to think that actually there's there's something more to it than than, than just redecorating. Because I guess that there's almost, there's a bit of a power trip, isn't there? You're, you're the president, you're the first lady, you move in, you just want to like put your own stamp on it, get your own pictures, get your own flowers, your own carpet and whatever, and kind of make it yours. But it... It's more than that, isn't it? It's not just a redecoration. Um, so what exactly did Jackie Kennedy do? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, the redecoration, that was one thing she talked about in the interview I mentioned for Life magazine, um, that she really wanted to focus on restoration as opposed to decoration because she wanted everything in the house to have a reason for being there. She didn't really like the word redecorated. Um, she described it as an act of sacrilege for a house that was so significant. Um, she really understood the value and the history of the White House. And she started on the project almost immediately after she moved in on the 23rd of January, 1961, which was her first official day of work as the new first lady. Um, she arranged for a meeting with the chairman of Washington DC's Fine Arts Commission and for advice on forming her own committee. So she was really interested in the project from the start. 
and officially began in April 1961 when she issued a memorandum describing the White House as many things in one, a home, headquarters of the president and a symbol of national power and purpose, as well as a cultural monument. And she really wanted her work to reflect this. Um, the exterior of the building had maintained its dignity and simplicity, whereas the interior had undergone so many changes, as I mentioned, reflecting the tastes of the changing occupants, which contributed to loss of much of its historical value. And she really sought to restore the White House to reflect the styles of past presidents um, from its 160 year history. So she worked alongside um, Senator Clinton P. Anderson to develop legislation, which designated the House as a museum under the direct administration of the National Park Service, which was one of the biggest first steps of the project, allowing it to receive donations directly. She also cre created the Fine Arts Committee to help her search for and acquire antiques from different presidencies. Um, she sought help from key, three key figures, Dorothy May Parrish, an interior designer, Henry Francis Dupont, um, an American collector and antique expert, and Stéphane Boudin, a renowned French designer. She also created the Office of the Curator, appointing Lorraine Waxman Pierce to the position. And with her assistance, she began to plan the designs for each room. And, you know, you mentioned about how, uh, you know, the senator and, and others kind of bought into this project. Um, and I guess like anything that has any sort of political um, element to it, there needs to be a lot of buy-in. But the first thing that I thought of was when you were talking about this was, the, the, the Christmas uh, when the Trumps were in the White House and Ivana sort of lined the corridor with the Christmas trees and, you know, the pictures went viral and the reaction to it was just like crazy when it was just a few Christmas trees. Um, but people were like, what's she doing? I know we didn't have social media back in the 60s, but did Jackie Kennedy kind of face any sort of backlash from, from politicians or from the public? Yeah, I think there was definitely... Um some public criticism of using such a large amount of money, especially to fund such a project when people believed it could have been used better elsewhere. Uh, one critical letter actually described the project as her whimsy to satisfy her urge for interior decorating, which I guess was kind of contradicted her idea that she wanted to restore rather than redecorate. I think she was trying to get that message across. But with money as well, she ran into difficulty like actually financing the project, even though she had connections with Congress. Um, she understood that it would have been unpopular to ask them for such a large amount of funding to just acquire antiques and furniture. Um, the $50,000 that initially had been designated to the project was spent almost immediately, which prompted her to have to look for other sources of funding. Um, she turned to contacting donors themselves to persuade them to donate their historically significant pieces and also set out to create a guidebook, the first of which was published in 1962 and the funds from the sale of the book were used to continue the project. So even despite some of the setbacks, she managed to find a way to work through them. Yeah, and when we talk about, you know, getting sort of museum status for the White House, what does that actually mean in terms of, you know, what did she... What did she do physically within the White House? Uh, like, what, how did she transform certain rooms, for instance, to, to kind of justify that? Well, she was really um, keen on conducting historical research herself to determine past, like, styles of rooms and placements of furniture. Um, she used magazine articles and books and any evidence she could find to find out how previous presidents had, like, historically decorated the rooms. Um, so one example, she found a magazine article from 1946, which mentioned that the Blue Room um, in the East Wing was once furnished with a French Empire style gilt wooden furniture. 
designed by Pierre-Antoine Belanger. And these furnishings had been ordered in 1818 by President James Monroe, um, who'd renovated the White House himself after the house was destroyed in 1814 by a fire started by the British during the War of 1812. And using this information, she decided to renovate the Blue Room in the same style. Um, she tasked her staff with finding examples of this kind of furniture, um, discovered a bust of George Washington, which was similar to the one that President Monroe had kept himself in the Blue Room. And she also made the decision to change the colour of the walls to cream, which was different to the way it had been before with the blue wallpaper, but um, she kept the blue accents. So she also completely designed the Red Room once again in a French style, using sofas that, began to, that belonged to First Lady Dolly Madison and a French chandelier from 1820. And while she did add some personal touches, like changing the wallpaper, um, she stated in a memorandum to Pierre Salinger that the aim of her committee was to restore and not change the White House. And um, before and after pictures of the rooms, especially the red rooms and the blue room, highlighted the amount of work that she put into transforming each room. Um, the restoration effort actually led to the acquisition of over 500 items of historical significance. Um, as a result of the legislation that designated the public rooms of the White House to be a museum, any furniture deemed historically significant was unable to be sold or claimed by any future first families. Um, and any items that future residents did not want on display were to be held by the Smithsonian Institution to be preserved, exhibited and stored. That's really interesting. And I guess as, as important as that work was and, and as probably um, uh, onerous as it was at, at that time to kind of do that research and kind of figure out where those artifacts were and what they even were in the first place and then to bring them into the White House. I guess the, the overarching question in my mind is, like why what's the point because like, like what's what's the actual like value in doing all of this like what's the end result and you mentioned before there was like a guidebook and I just wondered in terms of you know how all of this work ends up being communicated and filtered down to some sort of public benefit is the guidebook kind of part of that effort yeah she was um as I mentioned that when she visited the White House as a young girl she was really disappointed to not receive anything of this kind of like a guidebook, any kind of informational guide. Um, so she really wanted to make this in order for visitors to have an understanding of the work that she'd done and um, the way that rooms had changed throughout history. So she created this in the early days of the project, partially to receive the funding, but also to provide this information. And alongside this as well, she also filmed a television special of the newly renovated White House, which was broadcast on Valentine's Day in 1862. Um, which was the first televised tour of the White House and is also considered to be the first primetime documentary designed to appeal specifically to a female audience, um, which featured Jackie um, and was viewed by more than 80 million people. So as well as the guidebook, she also created this, um, which connected the public to like actually viewing the work that she'd done. And do you know what? I, I think just as a bit of a tangent to, to, to specifically talking about this project, um, I think it's really interesting that, that one of the things that you just mentioned that Jackie did was a project that was really quite focused towards women in terms of how it was communicated and promoted, you know, that, that television special being a prime example. Do you think that it kind of shows just what a unique position the First Lady has because they really get to push through an agenda that really no other politician could even do you know if someone came to to the government and said i need all this money to you know do what jackie did to the white house they they'd probably get laughed at wouldn't they 
Yeah, she she definitely really understood that she had a significant role to play that wasn't just the wife of the president. She was a really useful asset to him as well, like in terms of global relations and just the way she appeared to the public as this fashion icon and someone that young girls and women could look up to. And she really understood the power of the position, I think, which definitely created a precedent for future first ladies. Do you think like Jackie Kennedy more than other first ladies, um, probably because of her and JFK's age at the time, do you think that there was something quite aspirational about her that that maybe um, there wasn't about previous first ladies? Yeah, definitely. Like you mentioned, the age, uh, a lot of the first ladies before her had been quite a bit older. So seeing such a young couple um, was quite revolutionary at that time. They definitely brought a new feeling to the to the White House of youth and then the 60s as well, the kind of culture that that created, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I my thought process here is that if if all of that kind of ties in and actually, you know, Jackie was was quite uniquely positioned to actually get this project done, even compared to other first ladies, um, because of the the reputation she had and because of the image that um, she and, and, and John F. Kennedy had. It just, it, it feels like if you'd have asked me to guess which first lady had done this project, I probably would have guessed Jackie Kennedy. It just feels like a very Kennedy sort of thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. She, I mean, she was well known for being really interested in the arts and history and heritage. So yeah, it definitely feels like fitting with something you would expect her to do. Yeah. And sort of thinking about the sort of the the legacy and the, the, the particularly the, the sort of the enduring legacy that um, the Kennedys have, as you pointed out, you know, everyone kind of talks about JFK and, and the assassination of JFK. That tends to overshadow even his presidency, let alone um, Jackie Kennedy. So what sort of kind of mark on on the White House, on America, on US history as a whole, do you think that Jackie Kennedy left from this project? Yeah, I think the legacy is definitely really important. Um, you can definitely see the immediate legacy of a project in the increased public fascination with the White House. Public tours of the White House have been available for many years. Um, following Truman's exterior restoration project, the number of yearly visitors peaked uh, with over 960,000 people in 1957. But then following Jackie's project in 1962, uh, the number of viewers reached 1.5 million. So you can really see just the video special, the guidebook, um, just seeing the project she'd done had really increased public fascination. You can also see in the legacy of the work of her successor, First Lady Lady Bird Johnson. Um, Jackie left a letter for Lady Bird following her leaving the White House, which outlined her vision for the continued preservation of the White House. Um, And to continue Jackie's project, President Johnson created the Committee for the Preservation of the White House by executive order in 1964. Um, The committee was made up of citizens with experience in historic preservation, as well as the White House curator, the secretary of the Smithsonian, and the First Lady as honorary chair. It was tasked with creating policies that relate to the building's museum status and to work with each new first family to maintain the historical integrity of the building. Um, And as well as this, as well as turning the White House into a living museum, um, she played a key role in establishing the White House Historical Association, which still exists today. It was created in 1961 and now continues its work to protect, preserve and provide public access to the rich history of America's executive mansion, which is um, its statement on its website. Um, she insisted that the association be non-partisan and privately run, which means it's not caught up in partisan budget debates and still functions really successfully today. 
And while I was in DC, I actually networked with two historians who work for the association um, and heard a lot more about what the association does and how its legacy is still present in the work today, 60 years after it was established. Um, I also went on tours of both the East and West Wing of the White House, and you can really see the work that went into showcasing the rich heritage of the United States through this building. I, I'm actually very jealous. I've, I've never, well, I've been to Washington DC, but I've seen it from afar. I, I don't think, I don't think it was open for tours when I went, but like I had, I don't know if uh, you, you can recall, there's that road that goes between sort of the, the Washington Monument and the White House, and you can kind of get that good front view onto, onto the White House. That's as close as I got to it. But it's a, it's a very, it's a very grand looking building. But I just, I wonder if, the White House went through this period, um, thanks as well to, to this sort of, you know, the work done by Jackie Kennedy, of kind of moving from just being a government building and a house a residence to being a sort of fully fledged kind of historical monument, because purely because of its age. Because, I mean, now uh, it's over 200 years old. And when Jackie Kennedy did what she did, it was over 150 years old. Before then, I guess you were still in this territory of it being a relatively new building. Yeah, in terms of when she followed examples of like Europe's historic buildings, the White House is relatively young in that sense. But she didn't, she wanted to follow that example just to keep this image of the American strength and pride in the house. She wanted the, the country to really see that its history was present in that building and really I think the work that she's done has kept that up today as you can see first ladies all work alongside the association to maintain the history especially in the east wing is kept like this living museum whereas the west wing is more functional offices in terms of where the president works. When you were touring the White House um, what sort of um... I was going to say, like, what was your favourite room, which is probably the most boring question I've ever asked on this podcast. Um, but, like, kind of what kind of vibe were you getting as you were walking around it? Uh, you can definitely see um, the historical element in terms of the portrait. There's at least one portrait of every president um, present within the White House. I got to see the Obama's portraits, which was really interesting, the most recent ones up in the White House. Um, and then there's the famous Gilbert Stewart portrait of George Washington, uh, which was really amazing to see. Um, so yeah, it's mostly, you could see the coloured room, the red room, the blue room. It's all present in the the decor. You can tell how much work went into keeping you, it. Sorry, um, I, I, I completely cut you off there. I just, I really wanted to ask if you, you got to see the Oval Office or if that is like strictly out of bounds. No, yeah, I did get to see. You're not allowed inside. It's um, kind of roped off, but you are allowed to like, kind of lean in and have a look around no no pictures allowed unfortunately but yeah I got of to course see, yeah. <laughs> no I bet that was amazing to see though did you notice any sort of crevices in like the bookshelves or cases that could have been like little secret passageway no unfortunately not but I'm sure you know there might be something hidden in there that's gotta be there's gotta be um I do just I guess want to touch lastly on you know the White House as a whole yeah it's given me these kind of Buckingham Palace vibes you know talking to yeah you know about the sort of the restoration of it and and you know bringing these artifacts in and turning it into a public attraction um for a country that really wants to distance itself from the monarchy and very much that's how it was born there's real similarities there between the White House and Buckingham Palace I think 
Yeah, definitely. I think you can say I've had a tour of certain areas in Buckingham Palace and you can see the similarity, I think, with the the style of the artwork in there. It's very like rooted in the past, which I guess was Jackie's idea. But um, yeah, you can definitely see a lot of regal touches, especially in the European style um, decor, like the French furniture and everything like that. You can definitely see the similarities. Yeah, I think there's this like growing sort of overlap in how the president and the royal family sort of operate because as as the presidency itself becomes older and steeped in more traditions you know every president seems to leave another tradition behind and that then has to be followed it's you're kind of seeing the same thing play out it's just a few hundred years younger there is something quite regal now about the president and the white house and and all of the kind of I won't go as far as to say there's like pomp and pageantry but there is like there's something isn't there yeah you can definitely you can definitely tell especially with like the inaugural ball and the whole tradition with that definitely feels very regal and the position of power obviously of the president especially yeah although I'm probably uh, if, if I ever did work in the White House I'd be very glad that I didn't have to take part in some of the traditions don't you have to uh, I t- there's some weird royal traditions, isn't there? Like you have to obviously do the curtsy, but um, I don't know. Have you, I, I, I'm going to ask you this as if you know anything about it, but you know, if you sit down for like a banquet at the White House, I wonder if you still have to apply the same etiquette of like using certain hands for certain pieces of cutlery and like addressing someone to your right before you left. I don't know what the rules are, but there's certain like social rules when you're having dinner uh, uh, with like the royal family. I wonder if the same applies uh, to the president. Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of, you know, you have to sit on a particular side or um, the president has a particular chair. I know they follow a different style of like table etiquette because I had to learn a bit of that while I was in DC. There's a European style and an American style, which I'm sure for banquets they'll probably follow. Well, there you go. There's the sequel episode, Uh, (laughs) different banqueting styles between the UK and the US. But Uh, We could talk about the White House forever, I'm sure. But um, it's been genuinely really fascinating to hear about the work that Jackie Kennedy has done. Uh, And we're going to have to wrap up the episode here. So thank you so much uh, for joining me for this. Um, I've left some useful links in the show notes. um, So if you really did find this episode interesting and you want to find out more, um, do check out those. Um, But Jess, if anyone wants to connect with you, uh, where can they do that? Uh, Yeah, I think the best place... It's probably LinkedIn. Um, um, it's just Jess Aldred on LinkedIn. Yeah, A-L-L-D-R-E-D. Wonderful. And you can find me on X via This Is The Hef and on LinkedIn. Just search for Liam Heffernan. Um, and if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening uh, and give us a follow as well so all future episodes appear in your feed. Uh, thank you very much and goodbye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.